Amen, amen. Welcome, everybody, to the Church of Omaha. I wonder if we can clap our hands to the Lord all over this place. Just let the praise resound through this place for a moment. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. We give you glory, O oh Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Again, I'd like to welcome everyone in Jesus' name, and I'm sure glad to be in the house of the Lord with you all this morning. You know, when I think about, <clears throat> excuse me, when I think about the times in times past where I've almost taken these times for granted, you know, I, I, I don't want to take these times for granted because we don't know what tomorrow holds. I, you know, I, I, I enjoy these times together, and I hope you can see my heart here in that we should never take the fellowship that we have here, the time, the worship that we have here, the, the, the times that we have together here for granted. I love each and every one of you, and I'm excited. I'm so grateful that you all are here. And to those of you that are joining us online, you're right here with us this morning, and we, we, you're, you're, you're praying right along with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. I want to take you to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Thank you, Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's go ahead and stand for the reading of the word, starting with verse number 10. Verse 10 says, According to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward." If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Amen. You may be seated. For our time together this morning, I come to you with a, a very uh, a deep topic, if you will, and I want to preach and teach this, a wise master builder. A wise master builder. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being the author and the finisher of our faith, oh God. We put our faith in you. We put our hope in you. We lift you up all over this place, Jesus. Help us to be hearers and doers of your word, to hear the word and go and apply it, Lord Jesus. Thank you for all that you're teaching in this place, oh God. Thank you for all that you're doing in this place. I release your understanding. Help me, oh God, to be nothing more and nothing less than a vessel for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say it. Amen. Amen. Some, if not all of you, at some point have heard of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. But have you heard of the Leaning Tower in San Francisco? This tower seemingly made headlines on many news fronts for one very terrible reason. This Leaning Tower is more formally known as the Millennium Tower. Built in 2008, the 58-story skyscraper stands proudly but slightly crooked in San Francisco. The problem? The engineers that designed that, the building and the foundation did not dig a deep enough foundation. So fast forward to year 2022, they're being forced 
to retrofit the foundation with repairs that will likely cost more than the entire tower did when it was originally built. A fix that is necessary to keep it from collapsing during an earthquake. And I can't help but tie this in to what I want to start with this morning. And, this, and that is, one must start with a foundation. And not just any foundation, a firm foundation. And not just any firm foundation, because in case you didn't know, the only firm foundation is Jesus. And as you heard me say moments ago, if a building or structure of any kind for that matter does not start with a firm foundation where it can be properly placed, then the events thereafter will be tilted. The things that will happen thereafter, it will be tilted. It will shift. They will teeter from one way to the other. And as you just heard, it will not be able to withstand the earthquakes. It will not be able to withstand the storms and those types of things that have the potential to occur. At the time Paul was writing this and leading up to this verse about Jesus being the foundation built, there was an uproar, if you will, in the midst of the church in Corinth. So we're talking about the church in Corinth coming up to a point of contention, a point of trying to separate themselves from one another. They were separating themselves based on Paul and Apollos. Rather than finding and, and, and telling of their true identity in Christ. Paul likens this to being carnally minded. Saying, don't you think it's carnal to think this way? Putting yourself with one of us, but not the other it's not about Apollos or myself. And to bring that to today, it's not about me. It's not about Pastor Lucas. It's not about Pastor Jeremy. It's not about Bishop Powell. It's not about Brother Mac or Brother Donnie or Brother Chris. It's not about any one of us. It's about Christ and how we all work together in the body. He is the firm foundation. Your focus is in the wrong area, Paul pleads. And while Paul was aware that they were doing things of the kingdom, they were born again. Paul continues to say, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gets the increase. Not he who plants or waters. Why? Because we are laborers together. And what Paul was setting up is this firm foundation, the foundation that was not fall, found in Paul or Apollos, although they did lead many people to the Lord, number one, because they started with the firm foundation. Bishop, you, you shared a story about a young man approaching you when you first came here, uh, were elected as pastor, asking if the church was going to change the name, because the young man was convinced that the name before was not the Church of Omaha, but rather Tony's Church of Omaha. He was set on the church changing its name, if you will, to Powell's Church of Omaha. Every time he tells that story, I, I get a real kick out of it, and I've heard it a couple of times. I was like, man, I, I just can't imagine that. I don't know how old the, the kid was, but, um, but, but what I want to implore you is the same as what Paul is imploring to the church in Corinth. It wasn't Paul's church in Corinth or Apollo's church in Corinth. It's God that gets the increase. It was God's church in Corinth. It's in him which everyone must be built upon. A foundation built by man will falter. 
it will dwindle. It will teeter back and forth. But a foundation built by Christ shall never fail. It shall never fall. It shall never weaken. It shall never break. And I could go on and on about that. Jesus said it best in the parable of the wise and foolish builders in Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built him, excuse me, who built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew, there's the storms, and beat upon the house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened to a foolish man where, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the flood came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So you see here two different houses being built in two different places, one on the rock, one on the sand. The difference, one listened and did that which Jesus spoke in his word, and the other did not. One was merely a hearer, while the other was a hearer and a doer. One heeded to the words of Jesus and did something, in other words, which, which is a crucial component being a hearer and a doer, um, which is a crucial component of being a hearer to begin with. As a parent, when I'm at home or when I'm out and about, uh, and, it's, and it's time to go home or go somewhere or do something or whatever, 99 times out of 100, it usually involves taking our children with us joining us, especially if it's around the dinner table or going to church or, or going to the store or, or those types of things. My children can be, can be and are very different in their reactions to mommy and daddy's command to come in the kitchen or let's get ready to go. And it's normally my daughter who reacts as she should more so than, than my son. Although sometimes begrudgingly, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say it, sometimes they grunt and groan, both of them. But, but that might be for another message. I'll preach that some other time. She comes and gets ready and is usually very talkative and whatnot, saying, hey, what are we doing? Where are we going? Why are we doing that? But Callan, oh, Callan, my little boy, and I know all my family can attest to this, because they've seen it, uh, I will ask Callan to come to the table or come to get ready to go, and he will be just super focused on something, which is great. He can, he can keep focused on something for a long time, hours on end. He'll, it'll just be quiet in the house, and we won't know where he is. Don't be alarmed. We know he's somewhere. He hasn't left the house. The doors haven't opened, those types of things. But I will ask Callan to come to the table. He'll be focused on something. But, but you know, I'm not some goofball. I know his ears still work, Right? So I call him to do whatever it is, and I wait. I call for him again to do whatever it is I've asked him, and I wait. I raise my voice just a smidgen to ask him to stop whatever he's doing and follow through with what I requested him to do, and I wait. <laughs> I think you see where this is going, but, but I digress. Now, now you can say, well, you probably should have handled it this way or this way. But, but usually the fourth or fifth round of this or something, finally I get a response from my, my boy, okay, hold on, Dad. <laughs> and usually at this point, I'm marching up or down the stairs to wherever he is to, number one, see what he's doing, and to number two, provide some correction. 
And I know he knows what's coming. He can hear me coming up or down the stairs. We, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily tiptoeing down. I'm stomping down because I'm like, where is this boy? What is he doing? I look him in the eyes and I ask him, get going. We got to go. We got, come to the table. We, we got to get going to church. We're going to be five minutes late. Put up with whatever he, I ask him to put up whatever he's doing or put away whatever he's working on and listen and follow directions. To which his response is usually not the best. It's usually not the nicest. I know, I, I, just, you know, I love my kids. But it usually involves some stomping up the stairs and grunts and grumbles like, why do I have to stop? I was working on this. It was going so well and I just want to finish it. Sometimes more and sometimes less of that. But, but there I stand thinking, you know, if he would have just listened the first time, I don't think we would have had this issue. And without getting too off course, but I think it fits, we've adopted a phrase at a very young age, or when our kids were a very young age in our home, which is both, both of our kids know very well, because I, I asked them to repeat it to me, and that is, when one is called to do something, anything at all, especially from mom or dad, to do it right away, do it all the way, and do it with a good attitude. Do it right away, do it all the way, and do it with a good attitude. And as you've heard, one of my kids really does adopt this, and the other one hasn't really quite followed through yet. We're working on it, okay? Church, what I want to say is that the Lord is not going to twist your arm to make you or force you to do something that you don't want to do. If you read the Word... Maybe you don't have an understanding, but if you do have an understanding of it and you don't do it, how, wh what are you building upon? Right. Who, where's your foundation? Right. But if I can do what the scripture tells me and provoke one another to good works, you will want to make sure that you heed to the words of Jesus, do it right away, do it all the way, and do it with a good attitude. Why? Because the implications of doing otherwise are not pretty. They're not bright. They're not something that I would think anyone is looking forward to. Choose to build upon the foundation of Jesus. Choose to build upon the rock that can withstand the storms, the earthquakes, the shifts, the seasons. Oh, that we would rise up and choose the rock this day. That we would choose the firm foundation this day. And once that foundation is built, once that foundation is built, that is not where it ends. That is not the end all. That is not the end, but rather, it is just the beginning. It is where we start to build from the firm foundation. You see, Paul continues in his writings as we just read about building upon the foundation, starting in verse 10. But let every man take heed how he builds thereupon, for, uh, uh, for other foundation can no man lay that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. You know, I want to take in the next few moments and I want to talk to you about this gold, silver, precious stone, and this wood, hay, and stubble. The first thing I want to mention is that there are really two distinct groups here. 
the gold, silver, precious stone, and the wood, hay, and stubble. As Paul writes this, and as we can understand it, he is referring to that which, again, is built upon the foundation. And the questions I want to keep in the forefront of our mind as we go through these is this. What are the works of wood, hay, and stubble? And what are the works of gold, silver, and precious stone? You see, gold was the most valuable material that existed in the Roman Empire. It was and still is today extremely rare. When building anything, this would, this would be used to decorate and would signify a structure of great significance. Silver was a reference to silver money and was primarily used for coins, while it, also, it could also be used for decor and other precious things. Now, precious stones were just that. When we read the word precious, it's meaning honorable, costly, or precious. What the stones were not referring to was diamonds, rubies, topaz, those types of things. Paul was referring to the expensive building materials such as marble or granite. And we're talking about some top-of-the-line materials. These expensive materials could endure through time. They could endure through the weather. They could endure through the fire. They were able to last. All of these materials mentioned were built upon with the intention that the building was going to last a long time. Now the other, the wood, hay, and stubble were quite the contrary. While wood was used as a building material, it was mainly used as fuel for fires. It was cheap. It was temporary. It was perishable. It would really serve to make, it would really only serve to make any fire burn longer and hotter. And get this, wood was used for the construction of slave dwellings in Rome. Now, hay was another material that would be used in the construction of these slave dwellings. Hay was meant for food for animals, not construction, although it was used for it. It was considered to be the poorest material used. And stubble was so inferior that, it would, that, that animals wouldn't even eat it. But in these houses that I mentioned, these dwellings that I mentioned, it was used as a floor covering, sometimes insulation and stuffing for beds. More commonly, it was used in the construction of the roof of these slave dwellings. You see, the difference between the two, one lasts forever, and the other doesn't even last a lifetime. Which leads me to ask the question, how are you building your life? What are you building your life with? Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, Wherefore you are no more a servant, some other translations use slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let me ask you this. Are you building your life as a servant or slave with wood, hay, and stubble? Or are you building your life as a son with holy intention with the gold, silver, and precious stone? Am I choosing to be a servant to sin even after I've been freed from it? Or am I walking as a child of the one true king? What we choose to build upon the foundation that has been laid fully depends on our level of personal commitment to Jesus Christ, his word, and his will for our lives. And I was thinking more on this and praying. The questions that were coming to me were, how am I building my life? How am I building my marriage? How am I building my children? How am I building my relationships with others? How am I building my life? Am I building with wood, hay, and stubble, or am I building my life with that gold, silver, and precious stone? Remember, church, the foundation alone is not enough. 
the foundation alone cannot save. James wouldn't have written it as such when he, when he said in James chapter 2, verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works? Can faith save him? In other words, is it just the foundation that can save? Well, James goes on to answer that after giving some examples of faith and works and then down to verse 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out the other way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. There are some that hold the belief enough to beg the question, you mean my faith in God is not enough to save me? What about the verse in Titus 3, 5 that says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Or Romans 4, 5, where Paul writes, but to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Or further, where Paul writes in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In fact, this passage, with the understanding that Christ is the firm foundation, the chief cornerstone, aligns right along with that because it's nothing that I can do without God that can save me. And often one forgets to continue on to verse number 10, which says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do to, to good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. It is by faith we accept and receive the power of salvation through Jesus Christ and because of him that we are transformed. It is through him that a new creation has come. The old things go away and all things are new. It is through him that our hardened heart is removed and we're given a new heart of flesh. James is not saying that works is the key to receiving salvation. It is by God's grace, the grace we don't deserve, but he gives, and the work of God in our life that we are saved, not our own works. If I'm not saved, there is nothing I can do without God that can save me. I can't go repent to myself for what I've done. I can't go jump in the baptismal tank by myself and baptize myself. I can't fill myself with his spirit. All of that is through Jesus Christ and the pricking of the hearts of those who are seeking it. It is through Jesus Christ that understanding comes, which leads to salvation. And as James exhorts, when we are creatures made new in Christ, since we are his workmanship, that we should do these good works. Why? Because these works are an outer reflection of the inner transformation. They are the evidence of a heart that has, been, that, is, that has been and is continually being transformed and renewed by God. They are the evidence of no longer being a slave to sin, but now a son and an heir of Jesus. Hallelujah. It is my testimony of who Jesus is. It's saying, I'm no longer living for that which is perishable. I'm living for what will last. I'm no longer living for what I can keep down here. I'm living for what, I, what will be laid up in heaven. 
I'm choosing this day to focus on Jesus, to connect with Him, to grow in faith, to serve others, and to lead by example. I'm choosing to put the idols aside which I once worshipped. I'm choosing to not covet my neighbor's goods. I'm choosing to be a witness to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm choosing the straight and narrow because any other way will lead to darkness, will lead to me perishing. Another way we see these works is through the fruit of the Spirit. Anyone who follows Christ is obedient and committed to God's way of doing things, His Word, and what comes of that is bearing good fruit. It's the outer reflection of the inner transformation. Fruit that that is made evident for others to see. Paul wrote to the Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 35, By this all men shall know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you have love for one another, a heart that is continually being transformed into the image and likeness of God will reveal itself through actions that align with the Word of God. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, 43, For a good, a good tree brings, for, brings not forth corrupt fruit, neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the, tre- out of the good treasure of his heart bring forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the tr- evil treasure of his heart bring forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks." James' writing of the works and Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 3 echo what Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew chapter 7 after he explained the fruit, saying, Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Further, those who are willfully disobedient and continually sinful reveal a faith that is either stagnant or dead. Paul writes a few chapters later in 1 Corinthians 6 that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that many may be surprised in the end to learn that their faith was never real to begin with. And at that moment, as Jesus says, I never knew you. Oh, church, may you make every effort to produce these good works which are centered around Jesus as the cornerstone the firm foundation, that which is built upon Him. Because one day, these, whether gold, silver, or precious stone, or wood, hay, or stubble, will all be tried by fire. And to bring this all back around again in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 3, every man's work shall be made manifest, Paul writes, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire." These works, whether they be wood, hay, stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone, again, will be tried by fire. 
Bishop, you and I had a, had a great discussion about this. We were talking on the phone, and I was just writing stuff down as fast as I could because you were flowing in a vein, and I came to appreciate something that I really didn't see before. When Paul writes about being saved by fire, based on studies and scholars and more, Paul seemingly wrote this about being tried by fire sarcastically in the sense that Paul knows, and I would hope others know, that three of these six building materials that I listed that we have read about will not be able to withstand the fire. In other words, Paul is hinting, albeit blatantly saying, they will be saved if they can withstand the fire. There is a great comparison here between the one type of material versus the other, and there's no question about which one will withstand and which one will not withstand the fire. The fire that Paul is talking about is referencing that fire to come. The fire on the great day of the Lord. The eternal fire. The one sent by God to subdue and utterly destroy. And tying this back to the wise and foolish builder. The house that is being built is you. You are the house of the Lord. Paul is giving two eternal options. Either you do the work, the hard work, and dig deeper to find the stronger material because more times than not, it's not something that can necessarily be found on the surface. It's not something that you can just go out and get real quick. No, it takes a lot of time. It may take a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot of these things that, that, that come along with that. Um, but either you go for these these stronger materials that are under the surface or take more time, or you choose to stay on the surface and are destroyed. When we read about the parable of the talents where one was given five, one was given two, and one was given one, you remember what happened? The one that was given five did what? He doubled theirs. The one that was given two doubled theirs. But what happened with the one that was given one? He buried it. He did nothing with it. And in turn, he lost it. If you are not building on the foundation, remember again that the foundation alone cannot save. Like the person with the five talents and the person with the two talents, rather than bury what you have been given in the just-in-case, there is a resounding call here to dig deeper into Jesus. If there is something that can be shaken from the epistles, that can be, in, be shaken from the rest of the gospels, amidst all of the other things in this book that will come from it, it's to dig deeper into His Word. It's to dig deeper into it with the intent to better understand it. Oh, to find that gold, silver, and precious stone, it will take some digging to take it one day at a time, to not rush into anything, but also to not stay stagnant. Staying stagnant is no longer an option. Staying dry is no longer an option. I should say it like this. They're both an option. You can choose to stay stagnant. You can choose to stay dry. But the consuming fire to come with every warning that we have been given from the ever-loving Savior, why would you choose to live other than how He desires you to do? Why would one choose to build with the wood, hay, and stubble when they are offered gold, silver, and precious stone? I can try to relate to taking the easy way out and, and as I like to call it, compromising the truth 
and I'll continue to rebuke it all, but there's a tug on everyone to compromise. And as I touched on the last time I, I preached, there, there's a tug to compromise. There's a, there's a tug to say, well, I don't really have to do that. Or there's a tug to question the validity of God's word. There's a tug to do these things because the devil wants nothing more than for you to compromise his word so he can tug at your heart some more. And you see, if you, if you, if you recall, I talked about the, the space in the heart that's bigger as you draw closer to God. Because as you draw closer to him, these things in the world don't mean much anymore. But there's still that, that tug to compromise because that, that gap is bigger. So you've got to have more of Jesus the closer you get to him. Because literally, nothing else is going to matter. But the devil, he, he's, no, he's no idiot. I've, he's no dummy. He's not going to tempt you with something that doesn't tempt you or hasn't tempted you in the past. You know, in, in a class that I'm teaching, we're talking about, uh, uh, um, we're talking about like uh, addictions, like pornography addictions and things like that, and how they, how they wrap your brain so much that when you, you stop doing these things, you have such a desire to do it again. And I know there's a lot of deeper things that go into that, but that desire grows, and then you start to think things that aren't true, and then you start to think things that, that don't really make sense, but they make sense to you. You see, I'm telling you, the spirit of compromise will, will have you question the word of God. It will have you question the spirit of truth. We've got to walk in all truth. We've got to read all the truth. We've got to pray to the Savior because he will give us understanding so that we do not give in to the spirit of compromise. Oh, that we would dig deeper into his word. Oh, that we would dig deeper into his word so that we would not compromise, so that we would not seem that, see that the word is invalid in any sense. And it's not lightening up, digging deeper into the Word, fully devoting yourselves to every word of every Scripture is not just an option. It's the only option. Verses 16 and 17 of uh, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul reassures and reminds the reader, no, don't you know that, that you are, excuse me, know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And he goes on to say that worldly wisdom is foolish and to become a fool to the worldly wisdom. In other words, get rid of it that ye may be wise. Become wise in the word. Gain wisdom and understanding from the Lord, from His Word. There is no other way I desire to live than that which pleases Christ. There is no other way that I want to live. Why? Because the, the Lord knows the, the thoughts and intents of my heart. He knows that, there is, that, that, that if there is any wisdom that is not of Him and how to help you deal with that. He knows it. He knows when there's thoughts that are troubling you. He knows when there's things that are trying to grasp for your attention. And He's saying, reach for me. I'll help you through it. Rather than trying to do it on your own and getting further wrapped in the things, reach to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Reach to Jesus because He's the only one that can see you through it. Let me tell somebody, 
He's seen you through your worst before. You may be going through literal hell right now, but he'll see you through it again. Why? Because he never leaves you. He walks beside you. He goes before you. He's taking care of everything that's behind. He's never going to leave you, nor will he forsake you. Let me tell somebody else that you may be going through the time of your life right now. You may be struggling in your family. You may be struggling at your job. You may be struggling through these things. You may have a boss that's just terrible. Help me, Jesus. But I'm here to tell somebody that if you focus on those things, they're just going to take you down further with them. If you focus on those things, rather than looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, they're just going to tear you down. They're going to break you down. And you're going to end up so broken. I rebuke it all in Jesus' name. But there's going to come a point where you end up so broken that you don't know where to turn anymore. But the time to turn to Jesus is right now. The time to turn to him right now through your struggle, through your pain, through... Ah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Remember... As verse 22 says in 1 Corinthians 3, you are Christ, and Christ is God's. I would rather be a doormat in the house of God than being built upon anything else. Or as the sons of Korah wrote in Psalm 84, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I would rather that God show me now that which may be wood, hay, and stubble in my life than wait until that day where I see him face to face. But it's not just him showing you. See, you've got to seek him and say, Lord. Show me what may be that which is wood, hay, and stubble. What do you desire to do today, God? When you pray, do you say not my will, but yours be done, O Lord? Are you living a life that is more of Jesus and less of you? Are you living like you are Christ? Are you walking and building upon the Christ-laid foundation each day in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Trust me. You're not alone on this journey of filtering through the wood, hay, and stubble because I'm convinced that everyone may have a little bit here and there, but may you leave this first half that we have together with the understanding and the desire to replace that which is, with, that which is wood, hay, and stubble with that which is gold, silver, and precious stone, that which will withstand the test of time, that which will lead you to hear Jesus say one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh, that there would be a resounding prayer begin to break out in this place right now, desiring more of God, asking God to search the depths of your heart, to rid you of anything that is not of Him. Lord, remove, come on, let us pray. Lord, remove the wood, hay, and the stubble. Whatever I need to do, Lord, I want to do unto you. This world is not my home. I can't wait to be with you one day, but I know that the road ahead may be long. Oh, come on, church. I wonder if we can close out this time together. We've got a couple minutes and just fill this place with prayer. Come on, can we turn these last few moments together and make this place a house of prayer, if just for a moment. Oh, Jesus, 
Search the very depths of my heart, oh God. You know me. You know my thoughts. You know the intents of my heart, oh God. Help me, Lord, to stay fixed and to stay focused on you through it all, Jesus. I thank you for bringing me out of the dark and into your marvelous light. I thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in my life, how you've seen me through before. You're seeing me through right now, and you'll see me through again. Hallelujah. As I keep my eyes fixed on you, as I keep my heart fixed on you, Jesus. Come on, let us pray. Fill this place with prayer all over this place. Oh, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for being closer than a brother. I thank you, Lord, for searching me. I thank you, Lord, for giving me a way out of my dark pit that I may be in. I thank you, Lord, for showing me your light, for giving me your light, for giving me your spirit, for showing me a better way in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I wonder if we can just fill this place with praise for just a moment. Let, the, let this place resound with praise. Lift him up all over this place. Go ahead and thank him. Say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you. Woo! Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 We've got about a 10-minute break here. Thank you all for Join in during our first half and let the Lord be magnified. Be back here in 10 minutes for the start of our second half. In Jesus' name.